the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You know, there's going to be the Antichrist, there's going to be the false prophet, the Antichrist is going to come and and the false prophet is going to come and the Antichrist is going to set himself up in the temple of God, proclaim himself to be God. The false prophet is going to raise the Antichrist from the dead. There's going to be like an assassination attempt on his life. And, and then everybody is going to be required to take the mark of the beast, 666, in order to buy or sell. If you don't take the mark, you're going to die. And all of this in chapter 13. And then John says, by the way, chapter 14, I just want to remind you, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Before you get too overwhelmed with all the pictures of the end of the world found in Revelation, John wants to remind you that Jesus is indeed coming again. The hopeless picture is not going to stay hopeless. First, Jesus will snatch his church away before the horrible things begin. Then he's coming again to defeat the enemy once and for all. In today's message, you're going to see the darkness of the enemy's plan But God's plan will rise in stark contrast. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 14 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Revelation 14 is where we are. Let's first pause and pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. As we open up our Bibles tonight, we just also ask at the same time, Lord, that we would be willing to open our hearts, that you would speak to us. Thank you that you have given us a glimpse into the things that are to come. And uh, Lord, as we read these things, may it stir our hearts and may it cause us to be ready for your imminent return. Whenever that is to happen, Lord, we look forward to that day when you will sound a trumpet and you will take your bride from the earth. You will rescue us. And Lord, that we will then soon spend eternity with you forever and ever. So stir our hearts with anticipation of your second coming. And at the same time, Lord, we pray that you would also stir our hearts in compassion and love for people who don't know you because the time is short. And when we read Revelation, may we be reminded of that. The time is short. And so, Lord, prepare us, we pray. And thank you for this time together in your house and your word. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. And everybody said, Amen. All right, so our timeline that we are working from through the book of Revelation, if you're new to our study in Revelation, this is basically the whole book of Revelation broken down into a timeline, some of which is historic, 
we are presently in the church age period of time waiting for Jesus to rapture the church, to sound a trumpet, to take his bride from the earth. And then following that, the Bible tells us will be seven years of tribulation that will be coming upon the earth. That's chapter 6 through 18. That's where we are uh, presently because uh, we're here in chapter 14. And then events following chapter 18 having to do with um, the thousand-year millennial reign, the lake of fire, the great white throne judgment, and then a new heaven and a new earth. So we still have a lot to cover, but we're here in chapter 14 tonight. And um, chapter 14, obviously, in our Bibles, follows chapter 13, but is not necessarily in chronological order. It is considered a parenthetical chapter. Because John sees in advance the return of the Lord, and so he is writing of things that are to come in chapter 14. Now, it is believed that the reason why there's this parenthetical chapter here is because John wants to insert, as God has told him to, obviously, insert hope and a reference to God's mercy in the midst of his wrath. Because if you remember, chapter 13 had to do with the Antichrist and the false prophet, and how there will be an Antichrist, one who will come empowered by Satan himself, and the, the Antichrist will be this charismatic political world leader who will end up, the Bible tells us, becoming a dictator over a one-world government, that, that the planet is heading towards a one-world government. And along those lines, uh, I didn't have time to mention these quotes, so let me give you a, a few quotes along the lines of one-world government, one-world economy, and then we'll, we'll resume into chapter 14. But in a book called The Closing of the American Mind, author Alan Bloom says that, and these are just secular people writing about things, and author Alan Bloom says that the essential component in establishing globalism, listen, according to, to his opinion, is, quote, to eliminate any system of absolutes. When you eliminate any system of absolutes, then it sets the stage for globalism, because everything becomes relative. There are no absolutes. And, and we see that happening in our own day, where there's less and less an understanding of absolute truth, and there's more of the embracing of relative truth. You know, that's why you will hear, and it, and it, it grates on me when I hear this, but it's a very popular thing to say these days. Well, your truth says this. My truth says that. And I, look, truth is absolute, so there's no such thing as one person's version of the truth and another person's version of the truth. It's either true or it's false. And so according to Alan Bloom, who wrote The Closing of the American Mind, he says that the essential component to establishing globalism is, quote, to eliminate any system of absolute. So we're seeing that. Nobel Prize winning economist Jan Tinbergen said, quote, Mankind's problems can no longer be solved by national governments. What is needed is world government, end quote. So this Nobel Prize winning economist says what we need economically is for there to be a global one world government. And then lastly, in 2013, in a paid speech, Hillary Clinton said, quote, My dream is a hemispheric common market 
with open trade and open borders sometime in the future. So the stage is being set and the mindset is already among some global leaders and economists and authors that we need to trend towards the, the concept of one world government, one world economy. And, and thus, the Bible tells us that will eventually happen and that the Antichrist will rule one world government as this dictator over the globe and that the false prophet will appear also at the same time to promote a one world religion. And between one world government, one world religion, you will see, as Revelation describes it, what is going to occur in the days to come. So with all that said, you know, I I suppose John, as he then writes here by inspiration of the Spirit, hey, you know, there's going to be the Antichrist, there's going to be the false prophet, the Antichrist is going to come, and, and the false prophet is going to come, and the Antichrist is going to set himself up in the temple of God, proclaim himself to be God, the false prophet is going to raise the Antichrist from the dead, there's going to be like an assassination attempt on his life, and, and then everybody's going to be required to take the mark of the beast, 666, in order to buy or sell, if you don't take the mark, you're going to die, and all of this in chapter 13, and then John says, by the way, chapter 14, I just want to remind you, Jesus is coming again. And even though Jesus doesn't come again until chapter 19 of Revelation, there's this reminder to us of of the second coming of Christ. And in chapter 14, also some very encouraging things about how God is going to still get the gospel out so that people who are alive on the planet at the time during these seven years of tribulation will still have an opportunity to get saved. And God uses a very unique method in order to, to announce the gospel and to help people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. So here's the breakdown of chapter 14 as we are heading here into chapter 14. There are three parts to chapter 14. Each part begins with the same phrase, even though it's a little different in English, it's the same in the original Greek language. In verse 1, John says, then I looked, and he's going to talk about Jesus's return and the 144,000. We'll talk about this. And then in verse 6, he says, then I saw, again, different words in English, but same words in the Greek, And that's another section where he's going to talk about how God uses three angels to proclaim the gospel and judge the world. And then in verse 14, he says, then I looked, same Greek phrase, and he's going to talk about how God uses three angels to harvest the world by separating believers from non-believers. So let me read the first section of these three parts, which is verse 1 down through verse 5, and this is what it says. Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes." These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. 
So John has this vision here, and he, and he writes it down, and he sees a lamb. Now, verse 1, the reference to a lamb throughout the book of Revelation is none other than Jesus. It is the term by which Jesus is known throughout the book of Revelation. Twenty-six times that title is used because Jesus has opted to be known primarily as the one who came to sacrifice his life for the sins of the world. It all points to how before Christ there was a sacrificial system. The only way the Jews could atone for sin was to offer a lamb, to, to, to sacrifice a lamb. The shedding of the blood of the lamb would be taken as an atoning sacrifice for their own sins until such time that the Lamb could come for the sins of the whole world. This is why John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus approaching him, uh, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was recognizing that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate atonement for the sins of all. And thus, when Jesus dies on the cross, uh, his sacrifice was uh, sufficient for all people for all time, as many as would call upon the name of the Lord, and thus we don't need the sacrificial system anymore. But he refers to himself as the lamb to emphasize his sacrifice for the sins of the world. And John sees here the lamb. It's a reference to Jesus standing on Mount Zion. Now, there is debate among Bible scholars whether or not Mount Zion is a literal reference to Jerusalem or whether this is a picture that is happening in heaven. So some say this is a scene that he sees on earth. Some say this is a scene that he sees in heaven. I, I tend to believe this is a scene on earth because later he says in verse 2, and I heard a voice from heaven. So if he was in heaven, I don't know that he would say he heard it from the same place. So it seems to be that he sees something happening on earth, but at the same time he hears a voice from heaven. Mount Zion is a reference to Jerusalem in the Bible more than 160 times And every time except twice, it is a reference to the actual physical location of the city of Jerusalem and Israel. So there's there's really no reason to believe that this is a heavenly scene because Mount Zion is almost always a reference to Jerusalem itself, to the hill of Jerusalem. And so he sees here Jesus, and he sees Jesus on Mount Zion. So this again is a preview of the return of Christ, which doesn't happen until chapter 19. So this is when Christ comes to the earth after the seven years of tribulation are over, at the end of which is the battle of Armageddon. And Jesus then comes to Mount Zion, and specifically to the Mount of Olives, just east of Jerusalem, and John sees this. And John sees also with Jesus this reference to 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, we were first introduced to the 144,000 back in Revelation chapter 7. And just as a summary of what we read back in chapter 7, the 144,000, it told us back in chapter 7 verse 3, were sealed. They had a seal of some kind on their foreheads. Now, it tells us here in chapter 14 in verse 1 that that they had their father's name written on their foreheads. So God's name, whether it's Yahweh or Adonai, but his name is on their foreheads. They were sealed, meaning they were divinely protected with the name of God written across their foreheads. 
and back in chapter 7, verse 3, it, it referred to them as servants of God and that they were from all the tribes of Israel. So there are 12 tribes within the nation of Israel, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, or 144,000. So when we were back in chapter 7, we identified them as Jewish believers, believers in Jesus, in Yeshua, as Messiah, from each of the 12 tribes of Israel who have been saved during the tribulation period and protected from it. Because remember, a lot of people die during the tribulation period, but not the 144,000. God divinely protects them. He has sealed them. He has identified them as belonging to him. These are Jews who get saved during the tribulation. They put their faith and trust in Jesus. And then God uses them as like evangelists throughout the world proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so John sees when Christ returns, the 144,000 gathered with Jesus there on Mount Zion. And here in chapter 14, what we just read, John gives us a little bit more information about the 144,000. One of the things he says to us here in verse 4 is that these are the ones who were not defiled with women for they are virgins. And that would indicate to us that these are men But then there's debate as to whether or not this specifically is literally that they have never had sex and they are virgins, or whether it is figurative. And I tend to lean towards the figurative explanation, because in your Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 22, Israel is referred to as the virgin daughter of Zion, the the people of Israel referred to as the virgin daughter of Zion. Then in the New Testament, in first, in second Corinthians 11, two, Paul talks about how he longs to present the church to Christ as a virgin daughter. So you see these references in both the Old Testament and the New Testament to the figurative use of the idea of being the virgin daughter or in the New Testament, the virgin bride of Christ. And so I tend to believe that this is more figurative than literal, but that it describes the purity of these 144,000 Jewish believers, that they are morally pure before God. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they were all single, never been married, but that this is more than likely is speaking of their, their pure hearts. They didn't defile themselves. They were virgins. They were presented as a pure bride to Christ. It also tells us here in chapter 14 that they followed the lamb, and it says specifically that they followed the lamb wherever the lamb went. And so they were very attentive and obedient to following Jesus wherever he went. It also tells us here in chapter 14 that they were redeemed from among men. To be redeemed just means that they were saved, they were bought, they were saved out of uh, humanity because of their faith in Christ. They were redeemed. It also tells us here that uh, no deceit was in their mouth, so there, were, there was nothing about them that was uh, compromised in their speech. They didn't lie. They didn't, they didn't deceive anybody. And it also tells us at the end of uh, verse 5 that they were without fault. Now, some of your translations say that they were blameless. This does not mean that they were sinless. To be without fault or to be blameless means that they were living a life that was um, redeemed by Jesus and thus 
when they stand before God, they were without fault. In the same way that in Jude's little epistle, verse 24, in Jude 24, it says, Now to him who was able to keep you, talking about you and me, from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The same truth applies to us. That in Christ, one day we stand faultless before Jesus. That doesn't mean that we're sinless. It means that no longer is our sin held against us because of what Christ has done for us. So we can stand faultless before the throne. Because of Christ's righteousness that has been imputed to us, we stand in his righteousness before our Father such that on that day he finds no fault in us, that we are blameless before him. So this is that description of the 144,000 that, that John sees here, uh, gathered with Jesus around Mount Zion when the Lord returns. By the way, it tells us in verse 3 that they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne. So, you know, they're, they're engaged in this song. It's a new song. It hadn't been sung before. And I love also in verse 2, he says, And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. You know how we have this, this idea in our heads that, you know, angels are in heaven playing harps. Well, some of them are. Uh, and, and I don't mean to harp on it, but it really, it really is here in, in the Bible. So, John sees this. This is the first part of chapter 14. The second part of chapter 14 starts in verse 6, and I'll read down through verse 13. He says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. And another angel followed. This is angel number two. Saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. So John writing now. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So in this second section here of chapter 14, he sees three angels, and each angel has a specific mission. The first angel gives this invitation, this invitation to accept Christ. Again, that's verse 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. 
saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. Now, please note with me, this is very unique. Has never happened before in the Bible, and never happens again. What's unique about it? That God is actually using an angel to preach the gospel. Thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection. This book of Revelation that you've been studying with Pastor Gary is one that many have studied and analyzed, tried and tried again to pinpoint on a timeline. When will Jesus come? When will these and times events take place? Have they already begun? There are many questions we don't have the answers to, and we won't until they happen. But there are some truths that we can hold on to. These events will happen. Jesus is returning, and he will defeat Satan once and for all. And all those who have made Jesus Lord in their life will be with him for eternity. What a wonderful time that will be. So where does that leave us? It's important to know what's coming so that you can prepare now and trust Jesus for what we don't know. We must give our lives to the Lord, and we need to give others the opportunity to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in for today's study in Revelation. If you'd like to explore more teachings from God's Word that Pastor Gary has shared, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll also learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. Come visit us if you're in the area. All the information you need is at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Join us next time for more here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.